And as you make your way back to your seats, you might like to take out your Bibles. Can anyone guess where we're heading this morning? Hey, James. Very good. James chapter 4. Well, this morning we'll be continuing our Bold Living series, which we've been looking at the last little while. And uh, in the kingdom, bold living, what we've kind of been trying to shape and look at over the last little while, in the kingdom that looks fairly different to what the world would describe as bold living. And, you know, as followers of Jesus there should indeed be something different about our lives, about our speech, about our attitude to others and, of course, to God. And so as we've been looking through this wonderful book, the book of James, he's been addressing a number of different areas of life, you know, how we respond to trials, how we treat people, how we speak, how we operate in wisdom, how we do conflict. And last week, of course, we looked at judging others. And you know, all of these things, how we do life and do all of these areas of life should be different as followers of Jesus. And so in our passage today, in John John, James 4, 13 to 17 is where we'll be, we see some of the distinctions, I believe, between what bold living from a kingdom perspective looks like and what it looks like perhaps from a worldly perspective, warnings of things to avoid and exhortation of things to embrace in our lives as we seek to live bold lives for the glory of God. So uh, let me just pray and then we'll uh, read the word together. Lord, it's always such a privilege to open up your word. I thank you for the way that you speak through your word. And this morning we Just come before you and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring your illumination, Lord, to the word that we read, God. We don't need more information. We don't need a perfect sermon. We need revelation. We need to know your power and your presence in our lives, Lord. We don't just want to hear a sermon and go from here, but Lord, help us to be changed in some way this morning, from having met with you and having grabbed hold of your word, Lord God. Help me as I speak, Lord, to to share what's on your heart and uh, give us ears to hear what you might be saying to us today, I pray. In your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. James chapter 4, 13. Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So, an interesting passage this morning. And uh, 
many different things we could bring out. But James starts with chapter 4, at the very start of chapter 4, in my Bible at least, the heading says, a warning against worldliness. Worldliness being concerned with the things of this world over and above spiritual things. And I was just thinking this week as I was preparing this message, you know, if the Christians of the day, some 2,000 years ago or so, needed a warning against worldliness, how much more do we today in this world that we live in? And so I believe that it is apt that James finishes this particular chapter in this way as he is addressing some of the ways that worldliness can creep into our own hearts and lives and attitudes because it can be a subtle thing, can't it? It may not always be the big kind of ticket items, but the subtle things. You know, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, he also issues a warning against the love of the world or against worldliness, we could say. He describes it as the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And they can be subtle things, can't they? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Jesus himself in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, which I'm sure that we'd all be familiar with, with the story. The, the, the farmer sows the seed, and there's seed that falls amongst the weeds or the thorns, and they grow up to choke the life out of the, the good seed, out of the good plant. And he says that the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. It can be a subtle thing. Before we know it, it's there. But I believe that these few verses here at the end of James chapter 4 are a warning for us to guard against the trap of self-sufficiency which has an underlying root of pride and consists of an incorrect perspective of what is truly important and who has control, an incorrect perspective of the nature of our lives and an incorrect perspective on the nature of being submitted to God's will and what that looks like. And so I feel like for all those different elements, we could spend a whole sermon or a series on those three things, but I'm going to try and bring it all together this morning. Where I hope to head is to, to yes, look at the warning, but to bring the focus of, around the, the right or the true or the biblical perspective of what is truly important and who is in control. The right perspective of the nature of our lives and how we should be living our lives for His glory and the nature of what it looks like to be submitted to God's will in our lives. So, I feel as though as we read this passage, there are, there are three questions to reflect on or to wrestle with that I'm wanting to focus on this morning. The first of these is to ask, us, ask ourselves, what is most important and who has control? That's two questions, but two in one. Two for the price of one this morning. What is important and who has control in our lives? So who likes to make plans? Yeah, I feel like there are kind of two kinds of people, broadly speaking, those who love to be planned and dot every I and cross every T and, you know, be organized. And that's, that's wonderful. I celebrate that. And then there's another, I guess, the other kind of people who are a little bit more 
Take it as it comes, led by the Spirit. You know, that kind of um, just, I don't know, not, no offense intended there, like just happy go like, I don't know. Two kinds of people, those who really like to plan and those who perhaps, um, you know, a little bit more go with the flow. And both are fine, of course. And, you know, I've found as well that that kind of translates to holiday plans. Two kinds of people on holidays, or two kinds of ways of holidaying. There are those people who love to plan every moment of the day. We're going to wake up at this time. We're going to go down and get brunch at this time. We're going to go here for this long. Then we're going to go see this site and this. We've got to be on the move all the time. Or the other kind of holiday plans are, you don't really have any plans. You just wake up whenever you wake up. You go down to the beach whenever, you know, you're ready to go and you stay there as long as you feel right and then you come back and relax. See, my wife and I, we like to holiday that second way. We, uh, we just, you know, you can't wake up whenever you want anymore where there's little kids around, but we like to just kind of rest and relax. And again, both, both are fine, but it's interesting when you holiday with people, family or friends who are kind of the complete opposite, can be a cause for tension at times. But most of us would plan in some sense of the word. And of course, there's nothing wrong with making plans, being really planned and detailed. There's nothing wrong with being prepared. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with having desires in our hearts that we're, we're working towards, that we're seeking and pursuing the Lord for. There's nothing wrong with having dreams or anything like that. Those are all good things. Let me encourage you in that this morning. But the issue is that when we have plans or desires or dreams for our lives with this attitude of self-sufficiency, with this attitude of being independent from God. And so James is addressing that here as he starts with, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And he's addressing uh, merchants, traders, businessmen in the church of the day. You know, who, who are boasting about saying, we'll go here when it suits us. We'll make lots of money. We'll find our pleasure and satisfaction in doing so. He says that this kind of presumption, this kind of self-sufficiency is evil and it is boasting, he says. And this morning, we may not be merchants or traders or business people looking to go here, there or everywhere and make a profit and all that kind of thing. But I believe there is an underlying attitude that we need to guard against. It may not be as overt as those in the passage here were obviously saying or boasting about these things, but it can creep in subtly. Our view of God, how we live, and how we make our plans. And so perhaps we could apply it to our current context and society. Come now, you who make your own plans, who do your own thing, who do what feels right, or what feels good, who have your heart set on temporal, earthly pleasures, but leave no room for God's will, his leading, his authority, and his lordship. And this attitude, I guess, James calls it boasting. And really the heart of the issue, I think, is an underlying lordship issue of who has control of our lives. The spirit of independence that says, I know best. I want it my way. And you know, 
The danger in that is that it elevates ourselves and our desires above God and doesn't give him his rightful place in our lives. It can be so easy, can't it, to forge ahead with plans or whatever it might be, desires, and leave God out of the equation, then ask him to bless our plans. Have you ever found yourself in that place where you've just gone ahead, oh, Lord, would you bless these plans that I've made? Rather than finding out what he is doing, what he is saying, what he is leading, and then blessing that, getting on board with that. It can be so easy to rely upon our own resources, our own giftings, our own strength. I've got this. Rather than surrendering to the one who has infinite resources and is the giver of any gifts that we have anyway. There's a poem that a poem, sorry, that has become somewhat popular in our culture. You may have heard it. It's called Invictus by William Ernest Henley. And two of the more well-known lines in it are, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And I, I feel that as though many have grabbed hold of this as kind of a you know, slogan or as a way to live life. Certainly it's an attitude to be desired in the world's, eye, world's eyes if one is to get somewhere and accomplish something. But the problem with this mentality or attitude or mindset is that it's not the way that we're called to live. It's not the way it works as followers of Jesus. We're not called to merely live with the temporal things in mind as our highest aim or as our highest goal. We're not called to be in control of our lives, doing what we want, when we want. Because that underlying attitude doesn't leave any room for God, His Lordship what he is able to do, what he is calling and leading each one of us to do. So what is most important and who has control in your life this morning? The second question to wrestle with or to reflect on is what is your life and what are you doing with it? And so he's just kind of addressed this attitude of, of self-sufficiency, of you know, doing, making plans and doing what we want to do, or these people, what they wanted to do. But then he brings this reality check. He says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Does anyone feel encouraged by that this morning? It's not exactly the most encouraging passage, is it? But there is a truth and an aspect of life that perhaps has been lost a little bit in our Western culture and mindset. The frailty, the fragile nature of life. The fact that tomorrow is not promised for anyone. And I know that that can be not easy to hear or a bit leave you feeling a bit flat. But, you know, we're called to live our lives in the light of eternity. And please hear me this morning. I'm not trying to bring out a morbid sort of sermon here today. And I don't want us to stay in this place of feeling fearful or anxious or, you know, kind of taking on this attitude of, oh, well, what's the point in making plans or living life or stepping into what God has, 
I want us to be encouraged instead this morning that when faced with the uncertainty of what the future holds, we actually can have certainty because of who our God is, because of his faithfulness, and because of the hope that we have in him. Tomorrow may not be promised, but in Christ, for those who have put their faith and their trust in him, we have a hope that is secure for the future, for eternity. This life here, this earth, it's not our true home. We're sojourners, the Bible says, heading towards our true home, our heavenly dwelling with Christ. And you know, we don't have to face the future with fear or with inaction, but with confidence and assurance. The Bible tells us that this life that we're all living is not our own, but it is a gift. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Glorify God with how you live. In Psalm 31, 15, it says that our times are in his hands. In Psalm 139, it says all our days were ordained by him before one of them came to be. And so in light of that, we would do well to echo the prayer of Moses, the man of God, out of Psalm 90. He kind of knew where it was at. He said, what is, what is man? It's just a fleeting thing that life is. He said, so teach us to number our days aright, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us, Lord, to number our days. Teach us, Lord, to use this time that you've given us wisely, to not waste our lives, to not waste this gift that you've given us. Let me encourage all of us this morning, don't waste your life. Don't waste it on temporal earthly pleasures and desires, the things that will just pass away. Such as what is seen in verse 13, the boasting of that. We'll go here and there and we'll spend a year here and we'll trade, we'll make lots of profit. We'll pass away. The fact that our lives are precious and that time is short should in fact lead us to the desire to make our lives count. It should have an impact upon how we work. It should have an impact upon how we love and value our families and friends. It should have an impact upon how we love our spouse and our children. It should have an impact on how we live for the Lord, on what we plan for, on the things that we desire. Are the things that you are living for this morning, the things that you're investing your time in, the things that you're spending your time on, are they earthly Things, earthly pleasures, an earthly gain, or for something more. Things that will lead to life. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then all those other things, all the things that we can be anxious about, that we can be worried about, that we can be so focused on, all those things will find their proper place as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I was reading about um, uh, kind of a a hero of the faith, really. His name is Charles Studd, um, C.T. Studd. You may or may not have heard of him. He resonates with me. He was a a cricketer, actually, initially, back in the late 1800s. He played test cricket for England, was involved in the initial uh, test in 1882 that kind of became famous for the start of the Ashes. 
for those that are interested in that sort of thing, about two or three of us probably, but I'll move on. So he was, he was a star of the day. Like he was a, he was a star player. He was, played for England, played Middlesex in the county competition. He had it all. He was, came from wealthy family. He uh, had status and security and all those things. But when he was 24 years of age, God so grabbed hold of his heart and his life that he gave it all up. He laid down cricket and he, his heart was burning for Jesus so much that he knew he had to go to the mission field. And so he went to India and China and later on in his life uh, to Africa, to the Belgian Congo, as it was known at the time. And he poured out his life for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the glory of God. His heart was so ablaze with love and passion for Jesus that he, and he knew the, the, that all the other things he said that, you know, the cricket, the fame, the wealth, the status, all that would pass away. And he gave his life for um, the glory of God and to reach those who had not yet been reached with the gospel. And he wrote this in a poem that he wrote. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I think we'd do well to grab hold of that. Only one life will soon pass away. Only what is done for Christ will last. Because life is short and precious. Because tomorrow isn't promised. Let's offer ourselves today and each day to the one who has given us life, to the one who holds our times in his hands. Let's not put it off, you know, perhaps when we feel as we've got it all together or we feel we're a bit older or we've understood this a bit more. No, let's not put it off. Let's today and each day offer ourselves, our lives, to the one who has given us life as our act of worship as an offering before him. Then we'll be able to know his good and pleasing and perfect will, as it says in Romans 12. So what is your life? And what are you doing with it? And then the third question I believe we should wrestle with. What is the place of or the priority of God's will in your life. <clears throat> and we see in verse 15 of James 4 that James exhorts and challenges who he's writing to. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. His exhortation is totally contrary to those who say, Today, tomorrow, we'll do this and do that and earn money and all that kind of thing. We're called not to act independently, but to realize that security, that fulfillment come from a right relationship with God and a commitment to his ways and his plans in our lives. Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done. And Jesus himself modeled that in his the dark night of his soul just before he went to the cross. He says, Lord, is there any other way? Father, is there any other way? Yet not what I will, but yours be done. 
Not my will, but yours be done. But it can be so easy to fall into the trap of my will, not yours be done, Lord. My will, not yours be done. You know, we must desire his perfect plans to be accomplished in our lives. And if our prayer is truly your will be done, Lord, then we can have the assurance that our, pr- our present and our future are in the protective care of our Heavenly Father. Can I be honest here for a moment? Is that okay? In the midst of family, hopefully we can be honest together. And perhaps I'm not alone in this. If I am, you can pray for me afterwards. But there are times, there have been times in my life where if I'm really honest, when I, I think about God's will or what he wants me to do or anything like that, where there's kind of that sense of groaning inwardly or that inward resistance or just perhaps that unfounded belief that the will of God and submitting to that is stifling or not as fun or it's a bit of killjoy. Is anybody with me in that? You know, you think, but what if it means I can't do this or I have to lay that down or give up that dream or whatever it might be? If that's the case, well, he has the best for us so we can be confident that his ways are perfect and higher than ours. But you know, the opposite of that attitude of being in the will of God, being stifling or a killjoy or not as fun as doing what we might want to do, the opposite is actually true. I was having a conversation with a friend this week and uh, this person was just it was so encouraging to hear, like, just sharing about how amazing they'd found it, just really delving into the Word of God and, um, you know, really intentionally seeking God and praying that God's will would be done in this person's life. And they, they said something just really interesting and said, you know, it's just over the years I've kind of had this thought that maybe it's not as fun but, or not as good, but actually in this place of seeking God's will, in this place of opening up his word, in this place of really going deeper in my walk with him, that that's where true freedom is. That that's where true life is. And it's true. And you know, moving from this, this attitude of, of resistance, I guess, to God's will for our lives, his ways, his plans, his purposes... It's not always easy to shift that that hard attitude to say, if the Lord wills, or your will be done. And as we think about if the Lord wills, I'm not saying that we can't ever make a decision or move forward in faith. I'm not saying we need to go to the other extreme of, you know, the shops, Lord, I pray for a car park. If it's your will, if it's not, you know, just give me enough petrol to keep driving around. Like, not called to go to that extreme, but it's the posture of our hearts that's important before the Lord. If the Lord wills. It's not just some trite saying we put on the end of every sentence, but rather a heart posture for all of our lives. In the big decisions we make, in the little day-to-day things, in our relationships, our workplaces, wherever it might be. It acknowledges and expresses our need of Him. And our dependence on Him and our dependence of Him 
and on him permeates all of our lives. I can remember uh, being in the U.S. a couple of years ago when we, when we went as a pastoral team. And they give way signs over there. It says on the road, yield. Remember that? Yield. And I first saw it and I thought, oh, that's interesting, yield. And as I thought about it, I'm like, actually, that's a really great picture of what it looks like to be submitted to the Lord's will. Because when you're there in traffic in the US, it doesn't matter if I want to go or if I want to go out into traffic, I've got to yield to what's coming. There's no way I'm going to step out or drive out in front of what's coming. You want to get out of the way or wait till it's the right moment. You yield to what's coming. To yield means to give way, to give up and cease resistance or contention. And I think that heart posture of yielding to his ways, to what the Lord is saying, I don't want to get in the way of what he's wanting to do. I don't want to just step out into what I want to do or what I'm feeling like doing. I want to yield to him. I remember Suzanne Pillins, who, who uh, you know, we support as a, uh, the mission work, who's, who comes and preaches here each year. Uh, she's a horse trainer, and, and she's always, she used this example that the horses that you know, are the best and easiest to work with are the ones that are most yielded. They're the ones that are most responsive. And in the same way for us as followers of Jesus, the more that we yield our hearts and submit to his lordship and his will and his ways and his desires, then the more he is able uh, to work in and through us. And you know, when we think about his will... If the Lord wills, your will be done. The Bible says in Romans 12, too, that his will is good and pleasing and perfect. Good and pleasing and perfect. That sounds pretty good to me. Why would I want to be doing what I want to do when I can be yielding to his good and pleasing and perfect will? And it's as we offer up our lives as a sacrifice, as I mentioned earlier, that each and every day, surrender and obedience, and as we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, then we can discern and know and test what his will is. You know, he finishes this passage with an interesting verse. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And that speaks... And applies to all of Scripture. But it's like he's saying, look, I've told you the truth here now. It's not about being self-sufficient, about being independent, doing what you want. But it's about recognizing the nature of your life and surrendering to God's will. So now that you've heard it, if you don't do it, it's sin, he's saying. And that's a warning, I guess, for all of us. Of course, we have sins of commission, which are the things that we do, but this could be classed as sins of omission, the things that we ought to do but don't. So if we think about the kind of lives that truly honor the Lord, the kind of lives of bold living that we've been focusing on, that we're called to live, let's remember that bold living is not living for ourselves. It's not thinking that we know best. It's not seeking after earthly gain. 
the world's idea of living boldly, we could say. It's living yielded and surrendered to God's will. It's using our time here, this gift of life that he's given us wisely for his glory. It's facing the uncertainty of the future, not with fear or inaction, but with confidence and with assurance. And I pray that we would be a people who live like this. So can we, uh, can we stand this morning? And... Uh, Jeanette, would you be happy just to play? We have the prayer team ready and willing to pray for whoever would like prayer this morning. But uh, I've just kind of fell to my heart this morning uh, just to, if it's all right, if, if we just leave some space for the Lord, for Him to come and do whatever He wants to do and minister perhaps a couple of different things. Is that okay? So, uh, let's just uh, perhaps close our eyes, focus our attention upon the Lord. I'll get the prayer team to come forward actually at this point. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for, I guess, the somewhat challenging nature of this passage as we reflect on it, as we wrestle with it, Lord. I pray that we would be a people, God, who know what is truly important and who allow you to have your rightful place, God. Forgive us for those times where perhaps we like to have control and we do or desire to do just what we want to do and leave no room for you. Lord, thank you for just the precious gift of life that you have given to us. Thank you that you have breathed your life in us, Lord. Thank you that our times are in your hands. And I pray that you would just stir each and every heart here this morning to use this time you've given us here on earth wisely to live for your glory, Lord, to make our lives count for you. And Lord, I pray that we would live our lives yielded and surrendered to your Lordship to your will being done, Lord God. Thank you that your will for our lives is good and pleasing and perfect. That you know best, Lord. And even when we cannot understand, 
We thank you and we trust you that your ways are higher than our ways, Lord. I pray for each of us that we would live bold lives that glorify you, that testify to your greatness, to your love, to your faithfulness, and to your power at work within us, Lord. So as we leave this place this morning, thank you that we can leave with a sense of hope and joy and assurance that you go with us and you go ahead of us into this week. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you that we can walk in victory. Because Jesus, you have won the victory. So Lord, just as we conclude our service this morning, we don't just want to rush away. I just feel like you're wanting to minister in a few different areas, Lord. So we just open up our hearts to you and ask. I ask that you would lead us just here in this time of ministry, God. want to invite any of those of you here this morning we talked uh, earlier just after worship about that is anything too hard for the Lord and if you're in a place this morning where it's a place of difficulty it's a place of struggle it's a place perhaps you've not yet seen the breakthrough as we were talking about earlier and you need to be reminded encouraged or your perspective needs to shift perhaps that nothing is too hard for the Lord if you're in that place today I'd love to just invite you to come forward and receive prayer so I believe the Lord's just wanting to bring a fresh touch this morning so if that's you just you're welcome to come out now The other invitation is if you are in that uh, place where you know that you find it hard to give up control (laughs) to the Lord, where you find it hard to, I guess, say, Lord, not my will but yours be done you're wanting to to just surrender afresh this morning to his ways, to his best, to his will being done in your life I would just love to invite you to come forward as well and receive prayer, just that fresh act of surrender, acknowledging that you can't do it on your own so if that's you, you might like to move forward at this point
for those of you here today who perhaps it's kind of been a fresh jolt or revelation today about just the precious gift that life is, but you have this real desire to make your life count, <laughs> to, to make it count for the glory of God. If you just want to come and do business with God and say, Lord, I surrender, I'm all in, I, I just want this life to be lived for your glory. I just uh, invite you to come forward as well, just as a response really, to say yes to the Lord. So you're welcome to do that at this point. And of course, if you have any other need at all, don't just limit it to the three things I've called out. If you want prayer for anything in particular, a physical need, an emotional need, a relational thing, don't leave this place today without taking the opportunity to receive prayer. Because God is the, the God of breakthrough, desires to, to meet with and encounter His people. So, I just invite you to do that as well. God bless you this week. May you know His presence, His power. His goodness as you go from here.